to be liberated is to fully trust that you are here on purpose, with purpose, and that everything is beautifully being orchestrated for you and from you. Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. On this special segment of our episodes, we go into the Liberated Life interviews. Now, Zen Stoic is a philosophy that aims at creating liberation, but it itself is not liberation. It is merely a vehicle to get there. And just like the Buddha said, a finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. And on these episodes, we go beyond the bounds of Zen Stoic philosophy and interview people from all different walks of life on what it means to live a liberated life. Let's get into the show. Jesse Torres is a certified master peak performance coach and life strategist with additional master's certifications in meditation, heart math trainer, Reiki practitioner, and domestic violence counselor. She has coached thousands of high performance people from all walks of life and various parts of the world that have achieved success and the highest level of fulfillment. Jesse is the founder of Fierce Grace Transformation, a course and coaching program that helps high-performing entrepreneurs and leaders achieve passion, purpose, and impact while growing their businesses and maximizing their results in all areas of their world so that they can not only make their life extraordinary, but also have a passion and conviction to love it forward and create impact in the world. She is driven to discover the truth of the client's deepest potential and unlock the limitless opportunities that leave others in the dark ages, bringing all levels of mindset, energy, and strategy with an authentic client-driven approach. Jesse's journey was one filled with child abuse, the loss of a brother to murder, and a marriage that left her, as she describes, completely apathetic, emotionless, and spiritually dead. This left her living life with fear, limitation, and the darkness of shame every single day. She turned her suffering and pain into purpose and passion, and now she helps men and women all over the world transform their narrative from victim to victor and find the courage to take the small steps they need and peel back the layers of fear to realize their potential and live the big life of their dreams. With this as her driving force, she now lives a committed life of passion and purpose. She will do all she can to create the biggest impact in turning trauma to triumph and shifting humanity forever. Jessie is a dear friend of mine and fellow coach. She's absolutely amazing, and this interview really dives into how a person can take what we look at as pain or darkness in our own lives and transform it into the most beautiful and bright gifts that we can use to enrich the lives of ourselves as well as the lives of others. In this episode, Jesse goes into how to live an unshakable life as well as how to develop true self-love and compassion for yourself in the process. Without further ado, I give you Jesse Torres. Part of what I think is part of my path is to rewrite that past, to help us elevate to the future that we're being called to step into and that we can't step into it until we have looked at our past as our school and recognizing that every part of it, like what if it was all in this divine like contract and in that contract, these are the things you were meant to go through. And that from that, you are able to find a strength, a power, a conviction, a a purpose deeper than you could have ever scripted if you hadn't had the pain. And so again, the contrast, the polarity, right? It's like, we don't, we don't look for the gift. So we only remember the pain Yeah. and there's another story. And that's the story that I want to help people see. Like I said, I want to help you see the unseen so that you never unsee it. And you can never look at your past the same again, because it would be denying another truth that was present. And how can that truth be what you bring? Like we say, your past doesn't equal your future. I'm like, it can, (laughs) it can, if you pull the right pieces, no matter what part of your pain, there's a hero in there that got back up. That's a good point. That's, and it's interesting that you frame it that way, because most of the time when you hear about this concept of the past in the circles of personal development or coaching, people are like, it's not about the past. It's about what do you want now and in the future? And forget the past. Never mind that. Like you're here now. <laughs> I get that. And 
the past can actually create and provide a lot of wisdom if we choose to learn from it. And it seems like when people are trying to achieve something great for themselves or for their business and they're carrying the past with them or they're trying to forget about it in essence, it's like they're climbing up a hill with a weighted sled behind them. It seems like what you're talking about is how do we repurpose all that is behind us and actually use it to propel us forward? So exactly. I think that the absence of that, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. um, The absence of that, how I put it, I love that going up the hill is if you're wanting to mindset your way, I, I feel like we're knowing our way out of healing. And so if you're wanting to mindset your way out of the past, not acknowledge it because you got, where are you now? Where do you want to go? I feel like we're buying new software and installing it on an old OS. Mm-hmm. That, <laughs> and so we glitch, we glitch, we freeze. And it's because I got this cutting edge software. Why isn't it working? I'm doing my affirmations. I'm doing all the, the things. It's like, because you haven't upgr- upgraded the software, the hardware. So the hardware is still running an old program. So mm-hmm. until we reprogram that to match the new software, now you're solid. But you can't do it if you're just going to stack on top of, let's get the goods. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to, another metaphor that I like around that, and I feel like it was from the untethered soul where it's like rearranging your furniture in your house. Like you could just, you could rearrange it all you want, or you could just get it out. And then bring yeah. new furniture and don't want to stack new furniture, or new thoughts and materials up top, up, upon all the old stuff. And then you're just right. junk. That's, and that's how hoarding is born. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, very much. And there's so much power in it. I think, again, it's almost like parenting yourself. If you look at yourself and you be witness like me and Tether's soul, where, where he says you create a separation and be the observer mm-hmm. of the Jesse in the story and watch with the eyes of a parent, a loving parent that says, oh my God, that's when you took that blow and I'm watching. And what you end up seeing through the lenses of love, instead of condemning the part of you that made the mistake or went through it or was abused or whatever, you're witnessing like you would your own child, uh, a, a beautiful soul that's experiencing something heavy and how brave they are and how they got back up and they were still kind to the person at school. And it's, wow, there's so much beauty written in it. If we're able to witness ourselves through those lenses versus the one that wants to condemn. And I used to condemn myself all the time. I, like my little girl, my inner child, I judge her and how like why, when your father was abusing you, why didn't you run, spit, scream, pee yourself? Like literally, this is all the things that my judgmental mind was beating up my little girl about (laughs) because you should have fought harder. You shouldn't have let him all these things. And I was like, man, I was being so hard on myself with that judgment. I never felt enough. I never felt that because I screwed up versus seeing a little girl that didn't know better, seeing a little girl that, you know, was trying to protect her mom and brother and all these other things that were also true. And so again, if we really go back and see it with a different set of lenses, you can't unsee that. And you start to fall in love with that child versus beat it up so badly. That's right. I, that, that's a really amazing way of looking at it because there seems to be a confusion with people when they think about taking responsibility. And I've done this too. And it sounds like you've done the same thing in your past where we beat ourselves up and we think that we're taking responsibility should have done this Mm -hmm. in your opinion or like the way that you see it how is that not taking responsibility and what is the difference between the two of those things i think it's honestly i'll say two things i think it's love and understanding that being present with what was and that there's no wrong in it there's only the ability to love that person so take responsibility is to say non-judgment Like, this is what happened. I think it's Byron Katie that says, if you walk around saying, I shouldn't have that, or this shouldn't have happened. And she's like, should have, because it did. And arguing with reality, you lose 100% of the time. So since it happened, how can you come in it with the non-judgment? And I have my little like judge hammer here that (laughs) happens all the time (laughs) because it is literally in everybody's hand. And so how can you go back to that moment without the hammer and just be witness to the divine choreography of your life? And if this was your contract with God, your creator, whatever you believe, then how was it that you signed up like the brave hero that said, let's say somebody wants to help women heal their body so they can have children. 
Okay. So you went through not being able to have children because of what happened with your body. And you went through all the crying and all the sadness and all the pain. And from that awoke this goddess in you that said, I'm going to crack this code. You did, you found a way and now you want to teach others. So in the context of your pain, right? You said, look, God, I want to help women. I want to help women with this problem. And God says, okay, that's great. So here's the thing. <laughs> if you're going to help women with this problem, then you're going to have to know the suck. And you say, oof, that's going to really hurt God, but sign me up. I'm your gal. And I'm willing to go through the pain so that I can have the contrast and say, no, I'm going to fight against this. And now this is a true story. This lady has a daughter and now wants to share it with other women. So from the context of the depth of her pain, she found a way to turn what she was told by many doctors around and now has a child and is in deep conviction to help other women to do the wow. same. So, so how can we be witness to taking responsibility from whatever contract we signed, trusting that it's in divine order? There is no wrong ever. There's only an ability to be witness to what is the good? What is the gift? What is the opportunity for my soul's growth and expansion in this moment? And how could I use it? to help humanity in whatever way I can. That's right. I couldn't agree with you more. It reminds me of a lot of principles that I live my life by. One of which, the first thing that I'm reminded of is a mantra that I use to always bring myself back into a place of sovereignty. So no matter what it is that I'm going through, I'll sometimes use this while I'm in a hard workout or while a situation in my life is not going the way that I intended it to or that I planned to. And I'll say to myself, I chose to be here whether I remember why or not. And the fact that I'm here is all the validation I need. And that brings me back into this place of being ultimately responsible for being here in the present moment, whatever that present moment might be. And it allows me to not necessarily complain about the hand of cards that I was dealt in that moment by outside circumstance, things that I don't directly or consciously control. And it allows me to look at those cards and play them to the best of my ability rather than comparing them to somebody else's hand or wishing that I had different cards or judging the cards that I do have. And instead getting to that place of being resourceful. And another thing that I love that you said is that when you seek out these goals, you want to help in this way, or you want to create a specific type of impact, like this woman that you were discussing, what's really interesting that I feel like a lot of us miss and I missed it for years until recently was that when you set a goal, you were also unconsciously calling in obstacles because the obstacles are that which show you where you are not free and you have a choice when they come up, you can either overcome the obstacle or you can allow it to define you. And it's there to give way more than it is to take away. It'll only take away if you let it define you, but if you choose to overcome it, then it'll give you tremendous value for yourself, not just in that moment, but throughout your entire life, because it builds and expands the person that you are. So it's really interesting that way that you say that is because in the divine order, if you are going to grow, then by definition, you must expand beyond your comfort zone. You must expand beyond the boundaries of that. And the only way to do so is with these challenges that cause us to become more than we are. A hundred percent. I saw the two, two things you were saying. The first part about how you choose to see things. I think what's key in what you said is being present enough to almost be witness to the victor in the experience, enough to have presence, to be able to say, okay, this situation is here. How do I now choose to handle it? I think the key is to get us to that place of awareness. Sometimes we don't realize we're just in the thick of it. And you're just like, you're reacting and you're responding and you're just like, wait, what happened? How did I get here? So being in it and having the presence, even just the molecule of a moment to go, oh, wow, this is interesting and get, bring curiosity to the table and now make a conscious decision of how you react. Now you're in better control and better charge to be able to grow from the experience versus be buckled down by it. Mm -hmm. and, and challenges, it's like one of my greatest recipes, which I absolutely love what you say. So many people tend, oh, I'm struggling. This is so hard. I'm just in struggle. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, let me ask you. So what do you do when you're faced with a challenge? And most of the time people will say, I just, I freeze, but then I handle it. Or, you know what, I get freaked out, but then I just dive in or I figure it out or I'm like, awesome. So how do you feel when you say I'm struggling? 
They say, I'm heavy, I'm weighted, it's hard. I'm like, exactly. So if you could flip struggle to challenge, it calls forward a different part of you. Rather than I'm struggling, say, I'm challenged by this. Mm-hmm. This is challenging me. And it calls that different part of you that says, you know what? Yep, I froze for a minute, but then I handled it or I figured it out or I leaned in or it's because challenges, like you said, are there to expand us and grow us. And from my perspective, I believe it is what builds grit yes. in the human being. And so challenges are part of, like you said, our divine contract. It's just, okay, I want this big goal. But the other reason we get challenges is because it's like you wouldn't hire an obese personal trainer to teach you how to get fit. Correct. You would hire somebody. Probably not the move. (laughs) Probably not the best thing to do. So you look at someone and you have to be able to build the muscle so that you can pay it forward. So you're like, bring me the challenges because again, we don't grow muscle. If we lift 10 pounds every single time and we still lift 10 pounds, we're only going to build muscle from the 10 pounds of resistance. We want to grow bigger muscle. We need more resistance, right? Heavier weight. So there's the challenge. Bring me the challenges so that I can show up with grit and figure it out, lean in, build that muscle so that now I can teach others how to do the same. And without that grit, it's just like, guys, the bottom line at the end of the day, if if everything was perfect every minute of the day, we'd be bored out of our mind and we'd be causing trouble just to have polarity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the pursuit of something better or an improved quality of life or the solution to a problem that gives us purpose that seems to give us enjoyment in life. Like we are most happy or most present, most in flow when we're moving towards something that we want. It's not just the destination. It's that journey towards the thing that we want that we really feel alive. And we feel exceptionally alive, especially when we're overcoming a challenge. (laughs) When the pain is very real, then we are very much here alive and, and dealing with it in that moment and either allowing it to define us and shrinking by in some ways using our words, like saying, I'm struggling, like you were mentioning, or saying, hey, this is a challenge. And those are two very different realities. I remember when I first started coaching, I would hear clients say a lot, oh, this is really hard. I said, when you think of that word, how does that feel? It feels like a concrete wall. Like most of them would say some variation of that. And I was like, okay, what if you called it a challenge, just like you would do? And immediately, like as if magic, their mood <laughs> changed. <laughs> and just the way that we describe the world is going to allow us to experience it in a specific kind of way. So I find it really interesting that you and I are both on this particular topic, but we also resonate on this one word, which is unshakable. And when I started this podcast, I was like, this is a philosophy designed to help people create unshakable inner peace. And you have the unshakable life. Yes. And when I think about that, I always remind myself that that word for me, at least was born out of the year 2020, when I had many experiences throughout that entire year, none of which had to do with COVID, interestingly enough, but many experiences that tried to shake me. And it was the philosophy that I had espoused and built throughout that year between loss in in business, death of a loved one being confronted with their mortality and diagnosed with cancer, the end of a marriage, like all in one year. It was like a very shaking year. And yet the philosophy that I had been practicing and using for myself every day allowed me to keep my center. So I'm curious for you, Mm -hmm. does it mean to have the unshakable life or what is the unshakable life? I love that. I think it's like we're talking about right now, like how do you become so unshakable that you recognize the divine plan? And look, I'm not saying it's always easy. Sometimes we feel this challenge. Why is this happening to me? Oh my God, I did all these things and here this shows up and now I'm pulled back. And if we can look through the eyes of being unshakable, how can we see it as it being part of the divine plan? And that maybe just maybe it's steering us away from a bigger pain that we don't know to know. It's, I was just sharing with my daughter this and, oh, okay. So we were at this event over the weekend and there was an opportunity in this large group where people were, we were closing and people were called to make an offering. Like if they want to sing or play an instrument. 
And, and so people, different people were volunteering. My daughter really wanted to, but she was really nervous. And so at the moment that she finally got the courage to say, can I do one? The lady, it was time to close the circle. And so my daughter, we were talking about it and she was like, I feel that it's, it was okay. It was exactly what it needed to be. And I needed to get the lesson or whatever, but she goes, there's a little part of me that has regret. And I really wish that I would have done it. And I would have gotten the courage and it was the perfect setting and blah, blah, blah. And I said, what if, again, cause we don't know. We're making up the story, but what if it was going to totally flop and you were going to be scared and maybe started crying? What if some, what if the universe actually conspired on your favor to say, not this time, Shana, like notice just what's in the circle and what's in the environment and that you got the courage to say, Hey, me was enough for right now. And that your time is coming in the next round. And it was saving you from something that wasn't going to be a good experience for you. What if that was the story versus you didn't pick the right time or you screwed up or, you know, that, and you weren't brave enough or whatever. I go, you only walk away with the courage it took to raise your hand. That's yeah. it. So unshakable means how can we define everything in place as working for us and from us? versus to us. And now it's no matter what happens, we can now see like, how is this happening for my greater good? How is this happening for my expansion to grow in this moment, to feel disappointment and not bring judgment to the table? It's again, it's like people say, yeah, but what if it would have worked out this way? And what if I screwed up? And what if it would I'm like, if you're going to, what if you need to, what if effectively and say, what if it was the greatest thing that happened to you? What if it was the perfect thing that needed to happen to shift you into greater resolve next time? Like either way, we're making up the story. So we may as well make up the one that helps us win. So when you're living an unshakable life, it's challenges are just like, all right, I got this. And it's just, it's not, again, the victim story, which nowadays we're all trying not to be the victim, but we become so much in that, that we're not allowing the human to experience. You're going to feel disappointment. You're going to feel sadness as part of who we are as humans. But if you can be witness to the Jesse being disappointed and go, oh, wow, that's interesting. This thing caused her to be disappointed. Interesting. That's good for me in the spirit to know so that I understand humanity at a deeper level. Yeah. So yeah. if Jesse feels disappointment, Jesse feels sad, Jesse feels anger. I'm witness to it from the observer met my mindset and I'm able to now witness like, oh, even at this stage of coaching, at this stage of leading, at this stage of helping others, Jesse can still feel frustration or disappointment. Okay, got it. Now I'm able to help others and not and come without the hammer <laughs> and recognize, <laughs> I feel like this journey of loving ourselves and becoming unshakable is our journey in this lifetime so that we can be witness to humanity from a place of love and compassion versus judgment. And from that place, we can lift each other up and just recognize the else's cruelty is more a reflection of their pain, not your truth. Bullies or whatever, if they treat you unkind and we'd say, oh my God, they're horrible people. It's just, no. And we believe it. I was bullied in high school. I was called a wetback and a beaner. And I used to walk around the entire school to avoid this particular guy that used to just see me and immediately lay into me. And I understand now, then I bought it. I'm like, I'm something to be ashamed of. I go to the school and I'm, I don't fit in. And I believed him. And that's what we do, right? Coming out of it, I recognize it was a part of his pain. It wasn't my truth. And if we start to see people when they respond, doesn't mean we have to be on the other end of their bullseye. Because we don't have to stay there and receive it when we can have compassion and understanding. However, if we start to see that as their pain, we can send them love and energy and not own it as it's part of who we are. We start living through the lenses of what other people perceive of us versus our truth. And this whole journey is finding the love and the divine perfection we already are and moving away from what I call the heart armor that we build to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. So to be unshakable is to really see the divinity that each and every one of you are and not let anything or any circumstances shake you up enough to deviate you from that understanding. That's beautiful. I really love that perspective because it really for somebody to be able to get into the seat of witness allows them to see the divinity in themselves in others in the world itself and not to get so fixated and associated into our symbol of ourselves or in other words the ego it is really just a snapshot of an iteration in time of who we think we are it's not even the entirety of who we are it's a snapshot of a very small I fragment and we when we take things personally 
we are willingly giving our power away, especially to people who may bully us or may abuse us or attack us in some way. I've had experiences where I've had clients who were attacked, they were bullied, they were abused, they were assaulted. And we went through processes together where they were able to see their perspective of the event where there were all these things that happened from a vantage point where they were able to see the pain that the attacker or the person who had victimized them was in. And in being able to see in that perspective, rather than just through their own eyes and taking that situation or that experience personally, they were able to see the pain that they were in and able to actually feel compassion, which inadvertently gave them their power back. I believe that nobody can actually take our power away and no thing can take our power away. We have to willingly give it. Very much. A lot of the time we don't know when we're willingly give it. We're unconsciously doing it, but we're still being willing participants of the situation. Because at the end, you know this, we've heard this a lot through a lot of personal development teachings, but people will blame either circumstances, people, or themselves. And that blame is ultimately casting power to those things. Like I can't because X circumstance, I don't have the money or such and such event happened, or I don't have the time, or this person did this, or I have to talk to this, I have to get permission from this person, or I can't because I did bad in this time of my life. So either way, like we're always giving our power away somewhere and we're diluting that and not actually allowing ourselves to be able to see ourselves as we are and guide our lives in the direction that we want to go in because we've dispersed our powers in so many ways. So by being able to get into that space of witness, like you said, you can also start to feel compassion especially from a divine perspective, if you can get there in meditation for the pain that the people who are doing things that you may consider mean or whatever scale of, of that think of. But when we're able to see it from that perspective, it's so amazing what could happen. We transform the way that we see ourselves. Our identity su suddenly is not so limited and it, it begins to expand and we're able to not just see life in a better way, but like you said, begin to see that even the pain, even the things that we perceived as bad or as a nightmare of an experience suddenly become our gifts. Yeah, very much. They allow us to become stronger, better, happier. And at that moment, we're free. That's right. From there, we're free. We're free to decide the meaning we give each part. And I think God doesn't waste the pain. I think we do if we choose to. Mm -hmm. I think the power of our questions is super important versus what, why is this happening to me? You say, okay, how is this present for my highest and greatest good? Or what's the opportunity here for me to grow? And because again, either way, you're right. If you start to take it as a way to limit you, then just recognize your choosing. I think part of being witness is choosing. I remember having a conversation with my mom and my mom's Peruvian and English is not her. So I'm trying to articulate and I speak fluent Spanish, but I'm Spanglish. So I'm trying to explain all this to her and having her be witness because just her emotional home is sadness and worry. And I know it's what got her cancer. I know it's just, there's a lot going on for her. And I was trying to explain to her all of these things and you, you are your beliefs, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, this was 10 years ago. So she's like, you know what? It's been 72 years. I've lived this way. You got to understand I, this is, and I said, mom, I get it. I understand. I said, I just want you to know that now that you understand it, you are choosing. Mm. So now that you're clear, like I get that you've been conditioned and this is what you've done your whole life, but now you have awareness so now when it comes up, just recognize you are choosing to go down sadness road versus be witness to the gratitude and the love that you have present with you right now. Mm. And so from that place, it's just, okay, now I'm consciously choosing to be depleted. I'm consciously choosing. Now, again, I want to put one little disclaimer because this is tough for us, especially in this world of personal development and everybody knowing what to do, have compassion have compassion. I remember I, I woke up one day and I heard this voice say, go write about compassion. I'm like, write about compassion? And just go do it. Okay. So I sit there at the computer. And a lot of times when I write, I just close my eyes, let my fingers type. I don't care about grammar or anything. I just type. And what came up was interesting. I thought compassion. And it was compassion for the self. Because when we know better, and then we have a wobble, 
it's like we beat ourselves up even more. <laughs> just, I know I shouldn't be disempowered right now. I know I need to mindset my way out of this. And here I am and I'm stuck and I'm angry again. And now I have a bigger reason to shame myself. I have a bigger reason to be mad because I know I shouldn't live in this anger and I'm living in it. Like have compassion and know that there's still a human in. So <laughs> when you have a wobble, just be witness to it. Allow the feelings to go through. Yes, this is a moment because you don't have any idea what's going to happen tomorrow and what might be a challenge that presents itself that you could have never fathomed that could cause you to go into a pattern that you feel you've already healed and just recognize, oh, there it is again. Shoot, it snuck up on me. This time it wasn't my dad, it was a boss or this or it was a boyfriend or this was the guy at the grocery store or whatever. Man, it was sneaky. And now it's that, kind of witnessing and allowing your feelings to be expressed. But again, if you start to judge yourself, again, the hammer, because you know better and you need to say your affirmations and not feel the feels, you are mindsetting your way out of healing. And you're not letting the human experience the feeling of disappointment or the feeling of anger. Those are true. We're human. We're going to feel those again. And because you do is not an opportunity to shame yourself. It's an opportunity to be witness to the human part of you that feels disappointed and loves love on it. Let the disappointment fill through. I say, put a clock on it. You're angry, put, put a clock on it for five minutes, yell, scream, yell obscenities, kick and scream, whatever you want. And you'll <laughs> find that after five minutes, you're done. You're like, okay, whew, that felt good to me. Yeah, I got it all out. Conscious tantrum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you got to allow yourself to be expressed. We can't spiritually bypass the human experience. We have to embrace that part of us. That is the identity of Jesse or Victor and just go, oh, there you are. Go ahead, go for it. Be upset, give yourself, put a clock on it. And now, okay, what do we want to do with this sadness? How do we want to transmute it? What do we want to be witness to in this moment of sadness? What good is in this? Oh, it means you care deeply. It means that you're a loving human being. Those are also true. And now with that curiosity, we can find the power in that emotion and take it with us to expand versus beat ourselves up. Yes. No, I agree with that completely. I think one thing that's really interesting, there's a lot of things there that you said that I'm like, I got to unpack all of this because this is all, <laughs> all really good stuff. <laughs> so I'll go with the first one that comes to mind. But one thing that you were saying is when somebody asks themselves, why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening in general? I always find the question why very interesting because it can be used to be really empowering, but it can also be very disempowering very quickly. Because why is how we weave the story. It's how we weave the narrative of the experience. So it triggers defensiveness when you ask it of somebody else, as well as when you ask it of yourself, you start to get defensive of the situation and of how you feel. So I find it really interesting because when something is happening, when somebody is experiencing a problem and they say, why is this happening? They're thinking deductively into the problem, like further into the problem. They're strengthening the boundaries of that problem. They're like building... A, a nice, strong, reinforced fence. <laughs> They're making a little fortress for themselves every time they indulge in, why is this happening to me? Whereas when you said, what is the gift here? Or what is the opportunity here? It forces us to think inductively. We're actually getting outside of the problem. We mm -hmm. can't think of that because we're almost thinking beyond the current circumstance of what we're facing into how does this turn into a gift or an opportunity? How does it go from this really unpleasant, painful experience to something that's actually really meaningful, much bigger than I, I realized? So that inductive thinking just by switching the questions over can really help to break somebody out of the problem and how it's keeping them basically prisoner themselves in their own language by asking, why is this happening? Very much. And I think what's really interesting is you were talking about you can't mindset your way into spirituality, or you can't mindset your way into healing. <laughs> and that's so true. If you try to bypass the human experience, you only end up meeting with suffering. One of the reasons why this is not the stoic path, it's the reason why I put it as the Zen stoic path. But there were, to me, there were holes in the philosophy and stoicism really champions rationality, logic, and reasoning, which I think are really beautiful things. However, a stoic would never say, just express yourself and put a timer on and just have a conscious tantrum for a moment and let it all out. Like <laughs> that would never happen. <laughs> Stoicism. But that's a severely limiting thing to not allow yourself to do. And mm -hmm. of course that can be expressed in many different ways. You can go work out, you can go punch a punching bag, you could punch a pillow. There's so many different ways to express those feelings. But the point is as sentient beings, we're going to have emotions. We're going to have feelings. And if we don't acknowledge them, we don't express them, then 
it seems as though they just get bottled up and they compound over time. They create yeah. what I like to call emotional debt. And emotional mm-hmm. debt charges interest the more you keep it. So you might as well pay your emotional debt by processing it, learning from it, doing whatever you need to do, <laughs> and yeah. then it'll go away. Otherwise, it compounds with interest, comes back, and then you react out of 10 out of 10 to something that was supposed to be a two. Yeah. Yeah. And also energetically, I love that emotional debt. And I wrote down energy debt as we are energetic beings. If you don't think that if you're spiritually bypassing sadness or disappoint or anything like that, trust that your body is already experiencing it. Because if you're feeling the feelings, your mind is responding to what you tell it. I say there's a commander in chief up there that says, you know what? Okay. What does Jesse want? I can't do this. I'm so disappointed. And they're like, Hey, she said, we can't do this. So everybody shut down. Don't give her ideas. Don't give her. She said, we can't do this. So that's it. We can't do this because it just, it does what you tell it. Right. So from that moment, energetically, your body's shutting down your energy, your autonomic nervous system is now in sympathetic and it's now in fight or flight. And now that energy is housed. Now you want to spiritually bypass your energetic body needs that release. It needs to let go. That's why there's so many energy healers nowadays. And my sons who do sound healing, like playing instruments to, to vibrate your body, to release the energies of the trauma or the pain that you've experienced and know that if you don't give yourself permission to handle that emotional debt, then you are stacking up energy and you can think, no, I healed that. I'm good. I forgave. I'm good. Your body is still in remembrance. And so that's why it's so important to release those energies and those emotions, because we got to understand we have a human vehicle and that human vehicle, the heart rhythm is vibrating chaotic. If you're under stress or if you're under sadness, it's a different heartbeat. And even though you can think, nope, I'm good. Your heart knows better. And if you had a heart rate monitor, it would show you the graph yes. uh, of, of your stress. Data. <laughs> yeah, you cannot. And the other thing I wanted to mention too, and I just, I feel like this needs to be spoken for those of you that are listening and you've experienced really profound trauma. I just want to honor you. And I want you to know that we're by no means saying it happened for your greatest good, right? And that you just need to accept that it was a good thing. Be happy about it's, that. That's not worth it. It's just like, no, I was gang raped or whatever. How could you say that was for my greater good? Just like for whatever happened to you, we're not saying that. What we're saying is it did happen. And for whatever pain you suffered, I'm so sorry. That does not feel good. And I'm not saying that it was right. What I'm saying is that it happened and that there's another story that happened in the context of your pain or your trauma. And if you're alive today, that means you chose to get back up. And I'm willing to see that depth of your darkness was converse to the height of your light. And that there is a light that woke up in that moment. It didn't kill you. It didn't take you out. It woke you up to be still kind, to still show up in the world and love people. And that is what I want to be witness to in who you are. I'm sorry for whatever pains you've all had, but there's another story and you can be witness to the champion in the arena of the pain versus the one that got knocked down because both are true. That's right. That's beautiful. Gives me goosebumps when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I just love people. Like I love you guys. Like I, we've all gone through our knock to our knees moments. Like I say, sometimes we don't know what we've got until our knees hit the floor. And when we're able to have the unshakable language, now all of a sudden you're recognizing that you don't need to be taken to your knees to accept and see the power that you already have. Mm-hmm. I don't believe this is a becoming. I believe it's it's an unveiling. All the power, all the times you've been afraid, but you stood in courage. All the times that you got knocked down, but you got back up and you got resilience. Be witness to who you really are and unpack all that heart armor so that you can be empowered by the divinity that you are versus the one that got knocked down. Yes, absolutely. I'm very curious because I actually just realized I've never asked you this question (laughs) because you and I... Have, uh, we have our own experiences in this field of coaching and helping others. I'm very curious, Jesse, how did you get into the, what you do today? Like the type of coaching that you do and the way that you help people, how did that whole journey go for you? How much time do we have? I'm curious what led up to this way of thinking and this way of being, because it is truly beautiful to hear this perspective from you. And I'm sure like for people who are listening, this could be incredibly helpful to rewrite their story or to see different aspects of the story. And also to remember, I think the one distinction that is really key is that the fact that did happen and that you're here 
means that you got back up. And I've not heard it put that way, but that is profound. Yes. How did you come to be in this? Well, I'm going to do my best to put it in the Reader's Digest format and think again, the reason I speak the way I do, because it was a product of my journey. So I had sexual abuse with my father from my very first memory. I don't remember not having that all the way up until I was 18. When I was 16, I tried to tell my mom and I spoke in English. I used the word molest. In Spanish, molestar means to bother or annoy. And my dad twisted my words. My mom never said another word about it. And from that, I got shut down. My father would never punish me if he didn't get his way. He would punish my mom and my brother. So as a little girl, I felt responsible for everyone's happiness or unhappiness. And so part of the reason I didn't fight him off was because when I did, they suffered. And so I had this responsibility of just allowing it so that they didn't get hurt is what my my inner child did. And so from that, then uh, that was my 18 years. And then I met my ex, now ex-husband and was in an 18 and a half year marriage of verbal, mental, and emotional abuse. So it's when we got together, he was raised by an alcoholic mother. He thought my kids will never see me drink. I said, my kids will never be molested. And we thought we fixed it. He was 21. I was 18. And it was a mad love affair because he was the first one that said he brought me home late when we started dating. And my dad was standing outside on the porch and he was furious. And he looked at him and said, you get out. And he said, you get in the house. And he berated me all night. But then the next day, my boyfriend at the time, he said, what was up with your dad? And I said, what? He was mad because you brought me home late. And he said, no, he said, that was not an angry father. That was a jealous man. And I was like, well, nobody had ever spoken. Like I, I tried to tell my mom at 16 and nothing happened. So now he just said that and he unlocked Pandora's box. And I probably shared with him more than I needed to, but it was like, you like saw what I'd been dealing with my whole life. And from that, he still wanted to be with me. And my interpretation was, I'm not lovable. I'm gross. I'm filthy. This is what I adopted from what happened. And the fact that he still wanted to be with me, I was like, oh my God, I'm madly in love. You love me with all my dirty. You love me with all my shame. You love me with all of this. How could this be? You're the one. And so didn't understand how much trauma he had experienced. And we both brought our stuff to the marriage. And so from that marriage, 18 and a half years, my next 18 years was just verbal, massive, like vulgarity and emotional, mental abuse to the point where I felt like I really died. I died in every way a human being could die. I was apathetic. I wanted somebody to blow the red light. I, the only reason, I am alive and didn't do it myself was because of my three kids, because divorce wasn't an option. The only way was death. And then I would wish the plane would crash when he would travel and then have massive guilt over that. And this is the life I was living. And from, and I speak to this all the time because kindness, we all believe we're powerless in a world that's chaotic and lots of heavy things. We're not because kindness, an act of kindness is what saved my life. Because when these people treated me kind, I didn't know what it was. It just short circuited me. I was like, my dad told me people want to get in your pants. So don't trust anybody. My ex-husband told me people want to subconsciously break up a good marriage just so don't talk about our marriage to anybody. And so everybody was bad before they were good. And these people were kind to me and I didn't know what it was, but all I knew is if this feeling, whatever it is, I don't even know what to call it is available, then life is worth living. And from that moment, it gave me the courage to get out of my marriage. And I was 38 at the time. And at that moment, I had no clue who I was. I knew I was a mom, but I didn't know who Jesse was. And I got an obsession on understanding human beings. I was going through my own therapy. I, I wanted to read. I, I started reading books. I would never read. I always fall asleep at the first paragraph and never read. And now I'm picking up books. I'm going to workshops, seminars. I'm doing whatever. I just was obsessed to understand why my dad did what he did, why my mom ignored it why my husband did what he did and why I allowed it. And I wanted to have that understanding. And that led me to, in one of my therapy sessions, my therapist said, you should be a coach. And I went through, it was 2003 when I went through my divorce. And this was probably around 2006. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like soccer? I have no clue. This is bad. <laughs> like, you know, I'm talking about my problems. So I told her, well, I want to do what you do, but that's a whole lot of school. <laughs> yeah. You should be a coach. And so I started looking it up. And I wanted to go, I feel like I'm a better physical learner than online. And so I wanted the Hudson Institute back then, but it was too much money for me and I couldn't do it. And then I chose Coaches Training Institute, which is an accredited coaching school. And they did half 
virtual and half in session live. And so that's what I went through. I got my coaching certification. At that point, I was working full-time, 10-hour days trying to build a coaching practice. And then my sister, who was in real estate, they are always having coaching. She had tickets to this little seminar of this guy who was Matthew Ferry, which is Matt Ferry's son, who's a big real estate coach. He was doing personal development. So I went to that. And I thought he was funny and I thought he was great. He called that sabotaging voice, the drunk monkey, which I thought was funny. And then he was up there and he said, you know what, my, my mentor, Tony Robbins. And I thought, well, gosh, if this guy is good, who's this Tony Robbins dude? I want to know who he is. Cause this is the guy who mentored this guy. That's so right. I'm starting to look him up. Who is this guy? Blah, blah, blah. And then my cousin and I got tickets to UPW and we went and I was just like blown away and this, oh my God, after having done all this work already. And then from there, I became a Tony Robbins coach. I thought I, I want to, I want to do this. Like I want to be in this world. I want to help people this way. And, and it was just, I knew that doing it by myself was not getting me there. And so once that happened, I got to coach people from all over the world. And it's now this powerful vehicle of understanding human beings even more because it doesn't matter the culture, the background, you can see human behavior and the patterns. And then from that, I've also done heart math, which I absolutely love because it's the science around the rhythm of the heart when we're under stress or sadness or joy or love and understanding physically what we're doing in our energetic body. I went to, to India to learn meditation instructor. I got a certification there and I've just done all these things to get me here. And honest to God, the greatest journey has been my history, my, my own journey. And I've worked with, I apprenticed for a year with a shaman to become a shaman and work with different medicines and whatnot. And from that has just come to the awakening, the omnipotence of what we are in God's eyes, the love that we are, and to be able to be witness to this human experience from that kind of love. I, at one point in a meditation, I always tell my kids, if you could just see yourself through my lenses. And, you can and see I, yourself the way I see you in this state. <laughs> Well, and then, and, and one meditation, I literally heard God's voice source, whatever say, do you know why you say that? And I said, no, like he says, because that's me saying it to you. Wow. How could you be witnessed through my lenses? And I was like, oh my God, it feels so big. And there's been times in coaching where I remember one specific moment and I'll close with this, where I was, it was a brand new coach with telling me. So I'm trying to go through all the process. I got all my notes. I'm trying to do it. These people are investing in me. And, and I was talking to this client and I started to share some of my story and I stopped and there was silence on the other end. And I started freaking out. I'm like, Oh my God, Jesse, you shouldn't talk about you. It's about the client. It's about you. And you, you talk too much. And I was all in my head. And then I heard her crying and she said, you have no idea how you in sharing your story, what this did for me. And we were both crying at the end of the call and I hung up the call and I literally felt like the presence of Christ is what I felt like taking my face and saying, do you see what I've been trying to tell you? And that moment, I literally got gratitude for every part of my journey. And I called, my dad was alive at the time. And I called my dad and I said, dad, because he was in such regret and he wanted to kill himself and just hated himself for what he did. And I said, don't you dare look in the mirror one more day with hatred. I go, everything is divine. I love you. Like I called my ex-husband at the time. I called my mom. I literally was like in this space of gratitude, knowing that my story helped this human being. Then it was all perfect. It was all the way it was supposed to be. Because if I can take that and bring it into the life of somebody else who's suffering and they can be witness to their own journey from a way of peace and a way of love, then it was all divinely scripted and I'm fine. And you don't have to suffer on my behalf and you don't have to feel bad about anything. And I believe that they are all my soul partnerships in this lifetime to be the adversity. Like you say, the challenges. So they were partnered with me, my father, my all of them were partnered with me to be the adversity so that I could be witness to the light that I am not stay stuck in the darkness. And I think we all have that choice. So that's been my path. It's from my own first 18 years, my next 18 years, and then my obsession from that point to understand humanity at a level so much so that I can now serve. And I couldn't do that without finding that for Jesse first. Yeah. And if I didn't find that wherewithal to love myself and not make meaning, I had so many stories scripted about who I was and my appearance and my look. It, it, I hated everything about me because my 
Somehow I attracted my father wrong. My ex-husband was hyper jealous and controlling. I gain weight to not get attention. And then he'd be like, Hey, babe, you put on a few pounds. Are you sure you're going to eat that? So then I'd lose weight and then we go out and then he gets in fight with people because they look at me. So I just, I wanted to wreck this vehicle. I didn't know how to love myself. I felt that who I was and how I showed up was part of my pain. And so going through that journey of falling in love with all aspects of me is giving me the ability to fall in love with the world and people and all of us, just all a beautiful mess and divine perfection in the midst of it. So that's kind of a nutshell. (laughs) It's a beautiful nutshell (laughs) and incredibly inspiring. I didn't, I knew some of your story from like the times that we had like hung out and interacted, not the entirety of it. So I really do appreciate you sharing it because it's very inspiring what you took from what you were basically presented with in life from childhood, even into adulthood as a parent, as a mother, as a wife, going through all of this and then getting divorced and then seeking the answers. And it seems some of us will say to ourselves things like maybe what you said before, oh, I don't read or I can't read, like I can't pay attention to the book or whatever the case is. But when we have the right reasons that Mm -hmm. are bigger than ourselves, then we suddenly find the ability to do these things that we thought that we couldn't. And everything that you went through and seeing the divinity in all of it has allowed so many people to become free that you've helped that you see that everybody, like you were saying, has even the ones that were bad or the ones that had victimized you were all part of the plan. They're all pieces to the puzzle. And it was really interesting because I was showing you before our recording, the like little time scale that shows a person's emotional mental well-being based on how they perceive time, their past negative, their past positive, whether or not they're in control of their life, their present and their future, like those five things. And what's really interesting is that anytime I've seen somebody look at the past, the way that you've described that that previously had a high past negative, it drops through the floor Mm. and they suddenly see the beauty in all of their experience. And they're thankful and grateful for the things that had quote unquote happened to them because each one of those things was a gift. It allowed them to be who they are. And it's funny when I think about it too, there was so long through my life that I was, I didn't realize this until recently, but like I had spent a lot of my life feeling angry at my mom and then feeling guilty for feeling angry Mm -hmm. that she got sick and passed away. And to me as a little kid, five, six years old, while she was sick, I didn't understand that. So I was not very complex in my thinking. But what's interesting is that even after she passed, like for years, I victimized myself about it and I made her death about me. And then I realized one day it said her death was not about me. It was about Mm -hmm. her. It was her path. Her purpose in this life, as I perceive it, was to give birth to me. And her passing has made me into who I am today. It has made me strong. I don't feel like I would have been the person that I am today if that didn't happen. And so I was able to essentially alchemize the emotions and the thoughts of what that meant to me. And suddenly my mother's death became the greatest gift of my life. Not a gift I would have asked for, but, but in terms of what it gave me and how it has allowed me to be who I am, it was the greatest thing to ever happen in my life for myself and all the people that I've had the privilege to help. And it's It's so true. Far more more good than it did pain. And now the compassion and the love and the understanding that you can have for your mom versus that thing that wasn't congruent with your heart. You didn't want to be mad at her. At the end of the day, you were mad at her because you loved her and wanted her to stay. And now you're able to be witness to and have compassion to her journey to give you life. And one piece I left out, which is a very important piece of the journey, is in growing up in my household, the only safety I ever felt I had was my brother. Mm-hmm. And he would hold my hand when we walked to school uh, or at night. We lived in apartments and the neighbors upstairs would argue all the time. And he'd hold my hand across our, tw- our twin our bunk beds. And if he'd fall asleep, I'd crawl in bed with him. And I always felt safe. And he was 15 months older than me. And at 29 years old, he was murdered. 
And like, when I say to people, like whatever trauma you've experienced, I'm not saying that it's something that is right or whatever it just was. And in that moment, if you would have asked me to find the gift, I might've punched you in the nose. Oh yeah. (laughs) As I was going through that pain, like I was like, so angry. I was flipping God off. I was like, what if there's nothing? How do we know? What if you just buried six feet under and I worms crawl out of your eye holes? That's literally what I was saying. I was screaming. I was so angry. You opened up the sky and you took the only safety I ever had away from me. And what I really, and my little brother has been in and out of prison ever since he was 15 when this happened. And I asked him once and I said, when did you give up on Mauricio? Mm. And he said, when Oscar died. And I said, wow, that's great. I bet Oscar loves knowing that when he died, so did you. I said, if you don't find the good, then you will continue to hang your hat on your choices being at the result of this. I said, every single time I help a human being with grief, I honor my brother's life. So I have to go back and find the gift, even in that tragedy, enough so that I could actually forgive the guy that killed him. Yes. To the point that I'm trusting the divine plan. Like you said, would I have chosen it? No. But one thing I also realized is that I was very happy in my brother's shadow. At school, nobody knew me as Jesse. They knew me as Oscar's little sister. And I was very happy there. If I wanted to talk to a boy, I told my brother, can you tell him? I was just very happy being in the background. Nobody needs to see Jesse. But God and I made a different plan. That's right. And so I wasn't meant to live in the shadows. And I would have if Oscar was still here. And it wasn't until two years later... I ended up with a box of a little box of his things. When tragedy like that happens, it does funny things to family. People were like scavengers in his apartment. Oh, we used to listen to that album. We said everybody was taking stuff. All I took was his pillow because it still had the indentation of his head. And I still have that. And I ended up with this little box and inside there. And this was when I was knee deep in my marriage. Like I knew nothing about personal development, mm. but in this box were notes from his therapy sessions. I had learned more about my brother and there was personal development books. There was the book, uh, codependent no more was in this box. And I'm reading through this and I swear to God, I heard his voice loud and clear. And he said, Jess, this is for you to do, not me. And I didn't know what it meant at the time, but it never left me and it was resounding. And so again, here's the same things. Like I can be mad at God in the universe for taking my brother, or I can look at it as, oh, okay, this is what's pushing me forward to be who I'm here to be and take every lesson as a way and an opportunity to serve humanity at a deeper level, because I can understand when something doesn't make sense that crushes you to the ground and hurts you and you have no level of understanding. And the only choice in that moment is to hold on to the anger and hold on to how you feel it should have been or to let go and trust that it's all under divine order. And how can you find the power and the gift within it to understand other people's suffering so that you can serve them? Because somebody who understands that kind of pain can now speak to somebody else who's going through it. That's right. That's why we go through it, that we can help others so that not everybody has to live through that exact thing. And we all give to each other in that way. We're all interconnected in that way. What is this life about if it's not to serve each other, right? It's not to, it's like, we need each other. Let's just get over the fact that we're we're independent. We don't need, we don't need. Like, again, if you don't, if you don't love and you don't touch and you don't care for an infant, it will perish. We think we grow up and we're different. No, we need each other. So if you can offer a kind word, trust that it can change the trajectory of someone's life like it did mine. You don't know what chaos they're experiencing. Nobody knew the trouble I was having in my marriage. I kept the secret very tight. And if you act kindly to the Starbucks person, you you compliment someone's smile or you just act in kindness, it could literally shift that person's life to make a decision in their world. It gets them out of suffering. Don't underestimate the power of your love and your ability to be kind because it can literally change the world. And this is all about moving humanity from my perspective. So we're all in this together. If we can show up that way in life, we can literally change. I love that. That's amazing, Jesse. I have one final question for you before we wrap up. And I feel like you've already answered it, but I'll ask it again Okay. <laughs> this time. What is it to live a liberated life? To be free, honestly, is to trust wherever your space is, where you go to pray or meditate or to connect with this higher power that is source God. And you feel that sense of peace or where you, you connect in that space in your heart that says, okay, it's going to be okay. It's etheric. 
It's not tangible. The human mind wants tangible things. I want to be able to touch, but that's not what faith is. To be liberated is to fully trust that you are here on purpose, with purpose, and that everything is beautifully being orchestrated for you and from you. And you will now see life through a different set of lenses and you will see your challenges as an opportunity to grow and you will be free from the prison that we put ourselves in when we script a meaning into something that's happening to us. I could have scripted the meaning that my brother was taken because God is cruel and I hate God and I can turn into someone who's angry and I have the right. Everybody would say, you're justified in that, man. Your brother was murdered. Mm -hmm do that. But that doesn't help me expand and it doesn't help me grow. And it keeps me in prison of pain. So how do I become liberated is by trusting that there's something greater happening. And I always go with the mantra, everything is happening for our highest and greatest good, even the suck. And to live with that mantra allows you to be liberated, to believe that things are not happening to you and to beat you up and to take you out. It is only there to help you show the resilience that you actually have. And to show up that way, we don't have to be dropped to our knees every time to figure out that we're potent and we can live our fullest potential. So that's how I would explain that. Thank you, Jesse. Jesse, where can people find you if they're interested in your work or to find out more about you? You can come to unshakablelife.com. And I would love to connect with you. If you'd like to just directly get on my calendar, you can go to unshakablelife.com forward slash connect. And I would love to connect with you and see if there's an opportunity to serve you and support you. Awesome. Jesse, thank you so much. Thank you, Victor, so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Likewise. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It is my mission to help as many people as possible to live a liberated life with unshakable inner peace through the content on this podcast. Subscribe to this channel with notifications on to be notified daily whenever we share a new episode. 